And the title of this message is The Day of Small Things. If you would turn in your Bible to two places in the Old Testament, uh, one is the book of Habakkuk, and the other one is the book of Zechariah. And put your finger in both of those places, Zechariah chapter 4, Habakkuk chapter 3. We are going to read a couple of um, verses out of each of those chapters, then we're going to talk about the context, uh, those, those are spoken in so that we make sure we properly understand it before we make any attempt to apply those things to ourselves, and then out of that, see what the Lord has for us. So uh, we have uh, actually a slide with the scriptures up here for you if you uh, don't have your Bible or you, ha- you can't find those two places. So Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. And then it finishes with, to the chief musician, with my stringed instruments. And then the next one, which is out of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. And you can read it there, and it says, For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. So, Lord, thank you for your word this morning. We trust that you will minister to us and speak to us as we consider these things. Help us, Lord, of course, first to understand in our own uh, Bibles what these things mean. And then, uh, Lord, as we think about ourselves and how these things might apply to ourselves in our own church, would you just speak to us uh, in that way as well? And we trust, Lord, that you will be with us in all these things, ministering to us as, as we need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I mentioned, when I come to this time of the year, I'm always thinking, you know, Lord, is there something we should consider? Should we just sort of continue to plow forward on our own uh, study that we're doing, or, or should we consider something different? And I had been considering this passage of Scripture out of Habakkuk, as well as out of Zechariah for the last couple of months, as I think about um, us as a church and in our lives, and you know, certainly things have not gone here the way that we had hoped that they would go, or as, as we envisioned that they might go, just in terms of outreach and uh, blessing people and all of that. And we'll talk about a little, little bit of that as we go through these passages today. But these two passages catch my eye, catch our eye for, for different reasons. Uh, the Habakkuk passage, you know, it, it says there in verse 17 of chapter 3, though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vine, uh, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food. And just reading through that, I feel like that's very much where we are. And then that verse out of Zechariah also speaks to me with respect to just the day of small things. We have been through such a, a long history here. Our church has been in existence. Uh, we started the Sunday after 9-11 in a home. So we've been going as a church since 2001, but we incorporated in 2002, met in a home for a year, and then 
did, got our first rented space <clears throat> as a church in uh, 2003, uh, a little more further up into the city. Uh, the, just giving you some history there. So as the Lord moved us through these different phases and stages of our life as a church, you know, there were, as with, with any church, there's always a lot of puts and takes and, you know, people coming and going and different ministries growing and shrinking, you know, such as children's ministry, for example, or, or outreach or other types of service-based ministries. But those are all just a reflection of what the Lord is doing at any church at any given point in time. But these last four years or so, we've been kind of in this sort of lull. Um, and I think there's some, probably some reasons for that, but those things have uh, weighed upon my heart these last few years, and I've, I've thought a lot about them, I've prayed a lot about them, I've sought much counsel about uh, these things. You know, we, we did a leadership retreat uh, maybe two or so years ago. We um, got together, we, we laid everything on the table before the Lord. You know, we looked at everything. There was nothing we didn't, you know, not look at. We, we asked questions about everything, we, you know, our worship, our... Uh, you know, how we conduct off, uh, business in the office, uh, how, you know, our policies around children's ministry. We looked at all of those things. And uh, we, did, we didn't leave any stone unturned, and we, we prayed about it as a team. And uh, we considered, you know, just do we need to do something different? And trying to keep in mind, of course, that the church belongs to the Lord, right? Every church belongs to Jesus. He's the head of the church, and, and, and while we're looking at these things and asking those questions, which I think are good and healthy things to do, um, not venturing off into the realm of getting a, a fleshly, man-centered brainstorming session together and try to come up with all sorts of cool ideas, you know, uh, uh, there's principles in ministry that we get from God's Word, and one of those principles is what you strive to gain, you must strive to maintain, and if we have a ministry that's a work of the flesh, then it will be a work of the flesh without the presence of the Holy Spirit. So those are things we always have to be careful of. And so we did all those things and we continue to do those things. And yet, um, not a lot has changed. And so that's what got me thinking about these passages of Scripture and trying to consider you know, Lord, why are we in this position that we're in, in this, this state uh, of existence? You know, the interesting thing is, going back to 2018 when we moved into this building, you know, we were actually meeting out in the lobby because the sanctuary wasn't finished yet, but we had somewhere around 120 or so people regularly meeting out there, and when we moved into the sanctuary, it was so bizarre. We moved in we actually occupied the sanctuary on, uh, it's either Palm or Easter Sunday, I forget. But that day when we moved in, we, ha we had exactly 50% of the people from one week to the next, from that space right out there to this space. And that tells me that there has been something spiritual going on. You know, why do these things happen? It was just a, a bizarre thing. Well, rather than kind of go back through all that history, um, you know, as we've looked at it and prayed through it, I wanted to look at these passages of Scripture and say, is there something here for us that we should consider? So as we consider this prophecy and this word from Habakkuk, let's, let's go back and think for a moment about Habakkuk. Where is he in space and time? Where is he ministering? What were, what were the situations that he was encountering? 
Habakkuk was a prophet ministering just before the captivity came to Judah. In other words, as we're in the book of Daniel, remember we began looking in Daniel chapter one at King Nebuchadnezzar had come from Babylon and Babylon conquered uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, and took them captive. We have you know, timelines on that. We talked about all that a few weeks ago as we began that study. Well, Habakkuk was ministering just before the captivity. And so these words that the Lord was giving to Habakkuk as we go back and we read through chapters one and two, uh, Habakkuk w- was given a burden. He was given a prophecy from God around what was happening. And Habakkuk was weighed down and he was grieving. You know, God, why do you show me all of these things? They're so negative and they're, you know, your judgment's coming. And so he was weighed down with these words that God was giving him. But God was giving him those words to warn him of what was coming, just as God had given these words to other prophets. And so Habakkuk was ministering to the people, but as you read through these, these three short chapters, you come, for example, to chapter two, verse one, where we find Habakkuk saying, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he, that is God, will say to me and what I will answer when I am reproved. So Habakkuk, as a man of God receiving God's word, God speaking to him directly, he wanted to keep himself in a place where he could hear from the Lord and be sensitive to the Lord as God brought these words and these visions to him. And then a little bit later in chapter two, verse four, uh, we find a word here where the Lord is speaking, and this is a part of the vision that God was giving him. He said, make the vision plain, write it on tablets, etc." as God was speaking to him. And he says, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And this is quoted extensively in the book of Romans, talking about how we are justified, we are justified by faith. And so God using this man, using this prophet to speak these things to him and saying, okay, there is a vision coming and I'm gonna share with you, uh, Habakkuk, what I'm going to do you know, in that invasion that, that ended up taking uh, Jerusalem and Judah captive back to Babylon. And then when we come to chapter three, which is where we are in this passage, we have this appearance of God or what we call a theophany where God actually appears to Habakkuk and reveals himself to him and shares with him more details about what he's doing, what he's going to do as he comes and he brings a foreign heathen nation there to bring judgment upon God's people. And so we believe in, in chapter three here in this last portion that a part of what he may be writing is either either something he saw in the vision that was coming or that he had actually been there and experienced the invasion of Babylon. And so he's looking at the ruins, either in the vision or literally with his eyes. And that's where he comes to back in verse 16 of chapter three when he says, when I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble and when he comes up to his people and he will invade them with his troops. So he's seeing this, this destruction and this invasion, this judgment of God being executed. And that's where he says here in verse 17, and if you have your Bible open, like my Bible, you may have something here that says, a hymn of faith. 
So this is God speaking to him and then his response to what God is showing him. So keep in mind, God is showing him destruction, judgment, that I'm going to come, that the land will be plundered, things will be torn down, people will be taken captive, people will be killed in the process of the invasion. And here is what his response is, this hymn of faith that he writes down and that he prays in seeing all of these things. Again, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, nor the labor of the olive, excuse me, though the, the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And those are all pretty bad things, right? That says life has been disrupted. The ability for us to provide for ourselves has been disrupted. We've become helpless. We've become powerless through this judgment that God is bringing. And he says, yet, and and I look at all of these things, and they're bleak. The outlook is dark. It's, It's a long, rainy day. It's a dark night of the soul, any way you would choose to describe it. And he comes in verse 18, and he says, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So what is Habakkuk's response, even though God has, has given him this vision and he's probably beginning to see it come to pass before his eyes. He says, my response is I will rejoice in the Lord. And so what is he saying here? He's saying something very important to all of us, regardless of our situation, that when we enter a dark and a difficult time, if we get our eyes onto the circumstances if we just focus on the things that are happening that are not good and that are not going well, the judgment of God being executed, uh, the vines, the fields being obliterated, there's no way to provide food. All of our normal life uh, activities, you know, in their day, of course, it was an agrarian society, so their life was oriented around, you know, farming and providing for themselves, and they're no longer able to do that. Everything's been taken from them. And he says, yet in spite of that, regardless of that, I will fix my eyes on God. I'll look to heaven. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Not my bank account, not my life as I know it or my, my routines and all of those things. And he says, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet or hind's feet, your translation may say. And he will make me walk on my high hills. Here's what God will do rather than allowing me to sit and to wallow and to look at these things uh, in in the negative sense and see them. God is saying, look, I'm going to take you up on the high hills and I'll give you like deer's feet. And if you've ever seen deers or deer or goats and you've watched them climb a hill, they go to places that, that we can't go because of the way God made their feet and and the way he gave them balance. And they can just go up the side of a mountain that's like a a cliff. I I don't know if you've seen pictures of it. I've seen goats standing on the face of a cliff and they just jump and climb and go right up. And he's saying here, God is, is doing this for me. He's gonna make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. In other words, God will take me up. He'll take me away from this. He'll give me perspective. 
and I will trust in the Lord. I will look to the Lord. And so what Habakkuk is doing here is he's saying, I'm not going to look at these, this you know, lack of fruitfulness and lack of the olive and the fields yielding no food. Rather than focusing on that, I'm going to focus on the Lord because God takes us beyond our circumstances. And I believe Habakkuk is praying here as we you know, think about this whole chapter and the whole book. Uh, he says in another place, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. And so Habakkuk begins to think about and to pray for revival. Because you see, the only answer whenever you're in a difficult situation is the deliverance of God, isn't it? That God would come to us, that he would lead us out of it. So Habakkuk, praying for revival, turning his eyes, fixing his eyes upon the Lord, and he knew how God had once cared for his people and how God had once protected his people and provided for his people. But the thing is that revival is not a work of man. Revival is a work of God. So something that we have to ask God for, we have to seek God in, in these things. God, would you do something? You know, we, we know that God loves people. We know that God wants to see people saved. There's no question about that. The word of God is just filled with that, the New Testament especially. So we want God to do something. And we cry out to him. We, we go to the wall as, as Habakkuk did and as Ezekiel did. And we go and we stand on the gap. We stand on the wall and we look and we watch and we wait and we pray. One uh, commentator said this in thinking about this idea of revival. You know, we can think about revival and certainly look at it from the point of view that we want God to do something. Uh, in our city, in our locality, in our community, in our state. And we do want that and we pray for that and we seek that. But this person pointed out something very important and he says that this must also be a personal prayer. In other words, not just bring revival to the church or to the city or whatever, but Lord, bring revival to me. And he says, and I'll read it to you, we too often blame the church for sin, for corruption, for laziness, for prayerlessness, for lack of spiritual power or whatever. And we forget that we are the church. The church is the people. We need to pray for personal revival and diligently search ourselves and, and check our conduct and, and ask ourselves, does, does my walk glorify God as it should? Does my private conduct which only God sees, is he approving of that? Is my conversation profane or impure? Do I talk about Jesus with others? My communion, am I living and growing in my abiding life with Jesus? And then the other thing that Habakkuk said here, looking through what he had written elsewhere in this little book, he said, Lord, in the midst of the years, make it known. In other words, God, where we are right now and how we're living and what we're going through, reveal yourself to us, God. Show us, lead us, guide us. And Lord, in wrath, because God is always just when he brings his wrath, whenever he brings judgment, and certainly God was bringing judgment upon them at that time. He says, in wrath, remember mercy, and he's acknowledging, saying, Lord, you know, we don't really deserve 
revival any more than we deserve anything that comes from your hand as a gracious provision to us. However, we cry out to you and plead to you on behalf of, behalf of your mercy. Send mercy, send revival. Bring those things to us. One of the commentators also, in quoting Charles Spurgeon, whom I love, uh, applying it to this situation, said, Oh God, have mercy upon your poor church and visit her and revive her. She has but a little strength. She is desired to keep your word. Oh, refresh her, restore to her your power and give her yet to be, uh, and give her yet to be great in this land, meaning to be effective. But as, as that was quoted from Spurgeon, that made me think of that phrase about a little strength. And that actually comes out of Jesus' letter to the church of Philadelphia. And I'll read it to you in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. As I read that, I believe that we can read that for ourselves, because I believe as a church we have been faithful to those things. I don't think anything we're experiencing is because we've been unfaithful to the Lord. And at least not as a church, not, not from where I stand. And I believe that we have been attempting to be faithful in every way. Um, and he says, for you have a little strength. And so as I read about these things and just, just reading through what others have written, it's just interesting that it keeps coming back to, rather than looking at and focusing on the situation or the circumstances, keep your eyes on the Lord and do what Habakkuk did. We could focus on verse 17 though the fig tree may not blossom and all of that, or we could focus on what he wrote in 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. That's where we want to be. And I believe having tried to understand these things together in their context, that for us, I believe God's word would be don't get discouraged about these things. Uh, rather, keep our eyes on the Lord. We know uh, as a leadership team going back to when we were in our other building and we were busting at the seams and we had standing room only and the AC system couldn't keep up with all the bodies in there. And when we began to look and, and the Lord just through a long series of things led us to this building. Yet it seems like from Almost from the beginning, from the day we got here, we, we got here, God brought in this blessing. Our congregation nearly doubled uh, when we came into this building, and then very quickly it just kind of started dropping off. And these are things that when I look at them from the point of view of a pastor, you know, the first thing to do is to look at ourselves, for me to look at myself and to say, what are we doing wrong? And we did that. And I'm not saying we weren't doing anything wrong. Anything wrong, we, we probably were. But, you know, every church, there's, there's no perfect church. The only perfect church is the one where you're not. <laughs> and it seems like we're battling certain things, like, you know, I think our culture, right? Our culture is just, 
it's changing so rapidly. And, and what's happened to the church today, capital C, uh, and I see it, you probably see it as well, um, people are looking for a 21st century church. Or how is, when I walk in the doors of this church, is it checking all these boxes for me? And when, if we would stop and read our Bibles and just say, Lord, what do you say your church should look like? There's so little of what people look for that's in the scriptures. There, there are basic things. We, we need to be a church that's, that's upreach, meaning we're worshiping God first and foremost. Secondly, there's uh, the inreach where we are doing what God has called us to do as a body. Then there's the outreach that flows out of that. That as, as God feeds his sheep and causes them to be healthy, that the sheep are going out. But we have a model today where the church has to organize all the activities and the church has to provide all these things. And we have to have staff now to do these activities. And if we don't have that, they won't happen. And this is the, the church model that we're, we're in today. And I'm all for all of those things. Whatever God wants to do is what I want to do. But if I have a, a model that I want to drive, then who's the head of the church? It's not Jesus, it's the pastor, or it's whoever has the strongest personality. And we want God to do these things. We want him to, to build up uh, within us our spiritual maturity, our awareness of God, growing up into the head, even into Christ. And those who are saved by the grace of God and under the blood of Christ and filled with the Spirit of God will want to, you know, do the things, reaching out, inviting people to church, doing outreaches and those kinds of things. And, you know, in the past, we've done all those things. But as we've sort of diminished as in attendance, it's been more challenging to do those kinds of things. All of that to say that we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord. And we're going to continue to worship Him. And as God brings these opportunities, such as this, this thing I mentioned earlier that we're going to do in July with a team that's coming, God orchestrated this. I had nothing to do with it. It came to me. And we are going to, to stand with them, and they're coming to help us as a team just to go and to do the uncomfortable things, knock on doors, talk to people on the street, and just reach out to them in the name of the Lord. And to share Jesus with people. Now, I want to pause there and go over to the Zechariah passage. So if, you would, if you're in the book of Habakkuk, turn to the right a few pages to the book of Zechariah. And we are going to look at chapter 4, but while you're turning there. So we talked about Habakkuk and where he was ministering and tried to understand a bit of his context. In Zechariah's context, he's at the end of the time of the captivity and now the first uh, group of people, there were three waves of refugees that were sent back from Babylon to Jerusalem and to, Israel, to uh, Judah. And uh, Zechariah was a prophet who was in that first group of people who was sent back with Ezra to go back and to begin to restore and rebuild the temple and restore temple worship. So Zechariah... Uh, and Joshua, the high priest, they are two of the people mentioned here who the Lord has now put in place and he wants them to go back and to establish or reestablish worship of God in the city of Jerusalem. So in chapter four, it's a very significant chapter in the book of Zechariah as he and, and those he are with 
uh, are being told directly by God. God's sending angels and visions and he's giving to them a spiritual roadmap, not a physical roadmap, but a spiritual roadmap of how they are to go back and do this work of restoring and rebuilding worship in the temple. And, and because God wanted his people before the walls were built, and if you know anything about your Bible, the book of Nehemiah is where Nehemiah came later to build the wall after the temple and worship was, was restored. And so Zechariah's in that first wave of refugees who's gone back. He's been appointed this, this role here as prophet. And it says here, uh, looking at Zechariah chapter four, verse one, we're gonna focus on verse 10, but I wanna read to give us the context. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And he says, no, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. Who were you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the work of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. So what was going on in Zerubbabel's situation? He's now post-exile, but yet he's facing a similar situation in that as God allowed Habakkuk to see the destruction that was coming and to see that God was going to take them captive, And he had to deal with that, and yet he had to understand that God was just, that God was sovereign, and regardless of what God is allowing, regardless of what God is doing, regardless of how things look, I still have to look to the Lord. I still have to trust in God. I still have to rejoice in Him. What is Zechariah facing? Zechariah is facing a situation where, and if you you read some of this in the book of Nehemiah as he was building the wall, but there were detractors. There were people who were standing there saying, well, God's not gonna use you. You're not gonna build the temple. I mean, who are you? You can, I mean, think about it. God, when, when he built the first temple, it took years and years and years. And you guys think you're gonna come in here and build the temple in no time? There were people, there were the elders of Israel who, some of the older ones who had seen the first temple and now they're very old men and now they're saying to Zechariah, you can't do this. And yet God had spoken to Zechariah and called him to do it. And so now he's fighting this opposition and I don't know about you, but when people come against you, there's this psychological warfare that goes on, right? We sit in our house and we ruminate on these things and we think about these things and Uh, We begin to believe the lies. We begin to believe the press in our own head. 
And so the angel said, you know, what do you see? And he's looking and he sees this thing. He sees two olive trees and he sees these two menorahs, these lampstands with the little cups of oil and then there's a wick in the oil floating and that would have been used in the temple, right? The, the light of God in his temple. And he's saying here, don't, don't you understand what you're seeing? And he says, I don't. And so before he explains what's happening, he'll explain that at the end of chapter four. He says, look, here's what it is. Verse six, this is the word that he answered. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What is he saying to Zechariah in that context? I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do it through you. I'm not expecting you, Zechariah, and the people that you have helping you to be the people who accomplish it all. You have to understand it's spiritual strength that gets you through this, not physical strength. It's looking to the Lord, it's understanding as he says here, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And that if we will draw near to God, do you, hopefully you're beginning to see the connection between this and the Habakkuk passage. If you will draw near to me and understand that I do this work and I do it through you, then you'll understand that I get the glory. And then he says in verse seven, who are you, O great mountain? Now, as they were there, there was a mountain of rubble, literally. literally. And that all had to be cleared away before they could rebuild. And so he was, he was seeing not just like mountains out in the distance, but he was seeing the mountain of rubble. And he was going, man, this is, this is too much. The work is too great for us. He says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. The capstone, so, so the cornerstone is the first stone that's laid in a building project. The capstone is the completing stone. It's the finishing stone. And so God is saying here uh, that he, that is Zerubbabel, God's gonna use Zerubbabel and he shall bring forth the capstone. In other words, God is looking here in this vision all the way to the end when the work is finished. And when the last stone is put in place, the capstone, and he says, and it will come with shouts of grace, grace to it. And what's grace? It's God giving us rich blessings that we don't deserve. So God is speaking here to encourage Zerubbabel that I am doing something. And by the way, I'm doing it in and through you. I want to use you to do this work. And it is not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit. And in the end, you will see the completed work and you will give glory to God. You will shout grace, grace to it. And then in verse eight, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. So it, the work had started. His hands shall also finish it. That was what the capstone was about. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. How? Because you're gonna see this work being done. You'll see this work being completed. And then here in verse 10, for who has despised the day of small things? There were people looking at it saying, this is never gonna happen. Look at it, look at all the work that has to be done. We know what the end result should look like, but all we see is a pile of rubble. How's it ever gonna happen? For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So again, this is a spiritual picture of the work that God wanted to do. 
these seven being the seven eyes of the Lord that's described elsewhere in the prophecy, that God himself is watching, he's present, and he's guiding the work. And the idea of a plumb line, it's not something we use a lot today in construction, but it's a line that's used to keep things straight and true as you're doing a building process. And so he's saying, these seven, that is the eyes of the Lord, rejoice to see this plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. In other words, they're rejoicing to see that he's actually by faith doing the work that God has called him to do. And it says, they are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, as you look just a little bit further down in verse 11, he says, then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right uh, of the lampstand and its left, which he saw earlier in this passage? And I further uh, answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes which, from which the gold oil drains? And then he answered and said to me again, do you not know what these are? And he says, no, my Lord. And then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So here's the picture in case you didn't catch it. There's these two olive stands that he sees in the vision, two olive stands, two menorahs with olive trees. And out of the olive trees is coming a pipe and the pipe is dripping the oil into the little receptacle. So there's these two menorahs, 14 cups, and there's 14 little lines coming out of the the olive tree that are directly providing the oil or the fuel to bring the light, to, to bring the, the presence of God. Remember, light was symbolic of the presence of God in his temple. And so this is the picture God is giving him to have in his mind to see that behind the scenes, God has his hand on this work. And God is not just providing a bucket of oil that someone has to administer daily and come through and every day check and put some oil in the cups to keep it going. He's like, God just is not only providing the light, God's providing the oil, he provided the the pipes, he provided the source, which is the olive trees. So the trees themselves are supplying the oil. In other words, God is supplying the oil directly to the light. And so this is all an encouragement to Zechariah so that he will understand that you might be experiencing right now the day of small things. There might be people around you, detractors, shouting at you saying, you know, you're not this and you're not that and you'll never be this. But these things are, are being given to Zechariah as a picture, spiritually speaking, saying, I, the Lord, am behind all of this. I am supplying. I am meeting your needs. And when he says here in verse 14, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. These are the olive trees. You get the sense that it's sort of like these, these angels or, or these anointed ones are kind of in the tree with their har- arms kind of coming through like they're, they're bringing the life and, and the, the embodiment to the tree. So God himself is bringing the blessing directly from his throne to the work that's being done in the spirit so that in the realm of the physical, they can carry out what's happening in the realm of the spiritual. Do you see the picture? So to me, when I put these two things together, because believe me, I've spent a lot of time since 2018 lamenting, uh, crying out to God and doing all these things. And I'll be honest to you, the selfish part of this is I studied this for me because I needed the encouragement. 
And, and God has provided it because he's saying, if it's something that I'm involved in, then I will bless it. And, and listen, with God as my witness, I've tried to make it so that he gets the glory. You know, it doesn't matter who stands here. As long as God provides a spirit-filled person to stand here, he, that's what matters. Uh, me, individually, no, I'm just a, a pawn in his hand. I'm just a, a person, just like you are people. But God wants to use people. He wants to use anyone who will step forward and say, here am I, Lord. Speak to me, use me. And so like Habakkuk, when he saw that bleak picture, and he knew where they were headed. They were headed down, not up. Or like in this picture here where Zechariah, he's on the other side of it, and they were coming out of the down, and they were headed up. In both situations, God said, don't look at the situation, look at me. With Habakkuk and with Zechariah, he says, look, here's the picture. God's at work in heaven. God's behind this. And I believe with all of my heart that these things do apply to us, having understood them where they are in their context. And I believe that these are things that God wants to tell us as a church, don't look around, don't get discouraged. Keep your eyes on the Lord, you know, face forward, continue to march forward and let us as individuals continue to seek the Lord, to to follow the Lord, to pursue the Lord, worship him, read his word, let him speak to us. And then when we do things as a church and you know, we come here and we, we teach and we worship and, you know, we pray on Wednesdays and we have the men's and the women's groups and all of those things. You know, join in, participate, let God fill you up because here's what happens. God has this picture here. Turn to, let's just turn to John chapter seven and we'll finish with this. Went too far. There's this picture here that Jesus gives on this last day, the great day of the feast. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John seven thirty seven and 38 is talking about the work of the Spirit. This sounds an awful lot like what he, the Lord said or the Holy Spirit said in Zechariah chapter four, not by might, not by power, power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Hopefully that's you and that's me. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, this is the ministry. This is the Lord working through you and me, not only in our lives, but through us in the lives of those around us, in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces. And I would say to you something that I have sensed for a very long time that I think is just an evil in our land, which is the restriction of free speech and the restriction of people, you know, at work, you know, you have to succumb to these policies and LGBTQ and all of that. And, you you know, you can't talk about Jesus because it might be offensive. 
that, those, that's man. That, those are man's rules. Those are not things that God has ordained or blessed. What God has ordained and blessed is that he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Hey, whatever happens, happens, okay? But we will be faithful to the Lord. And we're not going to worry about that stuff. I mean, if something happens and legal action happens and I end up in jail, then maybe God just shifted my ministry to a prison ministry. And that's okay. You know why it's okay? Because God's in control. And I think the spirit of the age, the evil one, you know, he's, he's convinced us that we have to stay in line. And it's okay as long as you keep it here in these four walls. But when you take it out there, I don't know, you're crossing a line. We should cross that line. We're supposed to cross that line. There should be a sign over our door. We've talked about it. We've never put it up that as you're exiting the building, it says you are now entering the mission field because that is what we are doing when we exit from this place. We've come in here to be encouraged and built up and strengthened. And then we exit to take this living water out to those on the other side of those doors because we want them to come into these doors. We want everybody to come into these doors. We want sinners of every flavor to come in so that they can hear the word of the Lord, they can get saved, they can be born again, and they can have their lives changed and they can know that they're going to heaven to be in the presence of the Lord one day. And then like us, they will stand before the Bema seat of Christ one day as opposed to standing before the great white throne of judgment for those who do not know Christ. You see, we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. And what's the main thing? Anytime anybody shares a prayer request to me, hey, pray for this person, that person, because this thing is happening, my first question is what? You, you know this because I say it to you. Do they know the Lord? Because that's what matters. You know, their surgery and whatever they're going through, that's just a vehicle for God to reach them. What matters is, do they know the Lord? That's our focus. So we're gonna pray for that. Yeah, we'll pray for their healing, but we're gonna pray first that they give their hearts to Christ. Amen? So, Forgive me if I've offended you. I did this for me. I needed this. I did this as a Bible study to encourage myself. Maybe God did a little bit to bring some encouragement to you. But, but I needed this in the worst way. And I think that God has a word for us in it. And that he's not done with us yet. He's still, as long as we're here, as long as it's called today, as long as we'll be faithful. You know, this building doesn't matter. This building's just a building. It's just a framework. It, it, it can burn, right? But who we are as believers, that's what matters. We are the church. And we need to move forward, filled with faith, looking at the word of God, allowing the word of God to fill us, and allowing his spirit to work in and through us, to become that living water out to those around us in the world. That's what I want. I hope that's what you want. Lord Jesus, thank you today for your word. Thank you for this new year as we've entered it. And it is a time for a fresh start. It is a time for new things. It is a time for the old to be left behind, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And God, that's where we want to be, looking to the heavens, looking to the mountains. My help comes from the mountains, comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. So Lord, we will keep our eyes fixed upon you. And we will rejoice regardless of the circumstances, knowing that you are at work and that you will have the victory and that you will accomplish these things 
And Lord, the great thing is your work's going to get done whether we are a part of it or not, but we want to be a part of it, God. So please use us. And like Jesus said, would you cause these streams of living water to flow within us and that we, by allowing your spirit to work in and through us, might become the salt and the light that you desire that we would be uh, in the world around us, God. We love you. We bless your name this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.